0: hello everyone and welcome jason Seventh lisa here with you for searching the sacred and we are in an advent series this is episode two of the advent series where we are looking at the different names that were Given or used or pronounced or handed down or proclaimed or some other adjective that you want to throw in uh, about Jesus, the Christ, Emmanuel, God with us, the Son of God, the Son of Man, the Alpha and the Omega, and we could go on and on. Anyway, the point is we're wrestling through all of these. Why were certain ones used in certain instances? What could that mean for how we understand who this person is, who this God is? And so last time we looked at the beginning of the birth narrative in the book of matthew chapter 1 and we ended with verse 21 where joseph is told that mary will have a child it's conceived of the holy spirit and he is to name this child jesus for he will save his people from their sins and we stopped right there so that we could pick up this week in verse 22. so lisa's going to read matthew chapter 1 verse 22 where we hear a different name given for this child.
1: And we're still in the NRSV for this one. So verse 22, All this took place to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Look, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph awoke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, but he took her as his wife. He just took her as his wife. There's no but there. (laughs) And but had no marital relations with her until she had born a son and he named him Jesus. I suppose that's a rather large (laughs) but.
0: Oh, I
2: don't
3: know good. where to go with
0: that. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> we'll let everybody else insert whatever joke they want. We're just not going to try. <laughs>
3: just let well, that be- I mean, what struck me as you just read that Lisa was that it comes back around to Jesus, right? Named him. Jesus is how that ends. And Emmanuel's in the middle. And, um, and that that's interesting. Like when I think of Christmas songs, more of them say Emmanuel than Jesus, mm-hmm. even though Jesus is the name used more often. So that was, oh,
2: yeah.
1: sort of, I mean, Amy Grant is so loud in my ear when we say the word Emmanuel. Like I, can, like it's, I can literally hear the harmonies and the, like the whole thing.
0: Totally.
1: Wonderful.
0: <laughs> oh my gosh! Totally,
1: it's right understand. there now. There's probably some generational things there, but like that is for sure. I like, I can't not sing
3: it when I hear it. That's
1: mm-hmm. how it like, it's just
3: so tied. Maybe, maybe that's the song or the uh, question for us, but also for the listeners of like, which Christmas song is in your head when you hear a manual, <laughs> like which one, which one is first. Now that I, Lisa mentioned like, that one, I can't I'm get I'm almost like out.
0: frustrated that now it's that one. Like <laughs> <laughs> there's better ones, but now it's that one. <laughs>
3: Um, and it's, it's fascinating. I think that that has, um, so many songs because it's only here. So it's not in, it's not in Luke. So we're in the book of Matthew right now. This is something said to Joseph by the angel in Matthew. It's not said to Mary in the book of Luke. So it's only named here. And it seems to be the word that everybody has like, grasped onto. And so I think that becomes part of the conversation today. When we we're talking about doing this series, one of the things that was interesting was to notice um, who is who is calling this child what name. So the fact that Jesus was what Mary and Joseph were to name the child, you shall call him Jesus. Um but the verse being quoted from from Isaiah is they shall call him Emmanuel. And so like even that dynamic of what are people, who's the they?
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Um as compared mm-hmm. to it being Mary and Joseph who are doing the naming, who is the they who's going to call and name this person Emmanuel?
0: Well, and it's interesting too, to like take it out of the whole biblical Matthew 1, Isaiah context that we are gonna definitely be diving into. We write these christmas songs or advent songs around emmanuel but it's not like from january till december we have a whole bunch of other emmanuel songs it's kind of only christmas that we we do this there aren't a whole bunch of like big praise anthems where like emmanuel is like the focus you know we sing a lot about jesus um but we don't often use that term as often. I, I don't think. I mean, maybe I'm wrong in my assessment, but it seems like a Christmas thing to do.
2: Mm-hmm. That is an interesting.
3: I think about that with um there's stories about there's stories in the New Testament that seem like they get gypped because they're not Christmas or Easter, or or in the same or we don't study them in the same way. Um I don't know exactly where I was going that way, but like that idea of, do we, do we see the names of God, the names of Jesus being transcendent to different seasons or do we trap them? Is what I'm hearing you say, like the way that they. Yeah. Think. Like
0: I, I said it the other day in church, I said something like in a sermon, I was like, I, I was talking about Jesus and I just said, you know, Emmanuel, the God who is with us and it, I knew I was right. Like I knew that the name, like here it is in scripture, right? But it also just sounded so weird to come out of my mouth, not during Advent. It was like, well, I can't call Jesus that now. (laughs) Like it's September. I can't use this name yet. You know, I can't use this, this descriptor of who Jesus is. I could call, I could call him savior. I can call him Messiah. I could call Mm -hmm. him something else, but I definitely can't say God with us because I can only do that for four weeks out of the year. And it was just weird doing it.
1: Well, it's a super, I think it's it's just worth noticing. And I, like, really, I hadn't, I had not even considered this, that it appears here in Matthew. And I think that's it for the, like, for the Gospels and even beyond the Gospels. And even in the Older Testament, when it appears in Isaiah, it's only, it appears twice there and that's it. So, like, noticing that this name is such a powerful name. I feel like most of Christians know what the name is. Have heard the name; it's familiar, but it's not even used that much. And even in this passage in Matthew, like I just again, there's just times where you're like, you hear it so much, you don't even think about it. It's not even. It's like Matthew has inserted this language a little bit of like this is what it's doing. Nobody's actually. I don't know it. It's not. It's not like the, I don't think the angel's saying it. It looks like it's. Mm. It looks like Matthew's just kind of inserting like this, this, like Matthew's doing a tie to something, but that, yeah, I don't know. Like, cause it looks like it's just like, it's the quote of an old, older Testament passage inside Mm -hmm. this note. And then Joseph wakes up.
3: (laughs) There is a way. Yeah. As as you're saying that. (laughs) <laughs> to remember that the Gospels are written by authors and that authors have a perspective. That's why there's four different Gospels is because it's four different perspectives on the life of Jesus. And to allow that to be true and to also wonder what's unique about each of the perspectives or what then those, those humans as authors are doing um and that matthew what we see a lot is matthew practicing midrash that's what i would name it Mm -hmm. matthew of all the gospels has the most quotes from the hebrew scriptures that nobody else would have been that like if we think about even anybody um who is jewish today would have different interpretations of those passages than applying them to jesus Matthew is applying them to Jesus. There's a way to see that as Midrash. It's it's a way to kind of expand or see differently or turn the gem and look at a different angle at something that other people would have seen as meaning something else. Matthew is doing that a lot. This is the first time Matthew's doing that. He's pulling forward a verse from the Hebrew scriptures and saying, this this feels like what's happening to me. This seems like a way to pull this
0: forward. Yeah, I mean, I think... Maybe we we could even expand this out just to give people a little bit more context. Matthew tends to be the most Jewish-oriented of the Gospels, like you said, reliant on the Hebrew Scriptures, pulling it into the the story of Jesus more and more. Uh, Mark is the most succinct Gospel that we have that doesn't bring in a lot of the Jewish history, just has almost a bare-bones expression of the Jesus story, and a lot of it's in contrast to the Roman story. And so Mark is doing something really different than Matthew. Luke is writing a story that is trying for a kind of Greek audience to understand the Jewish tradition. So similar to Matthew, but with a different like audience in mind. So it's pulling the Jewish story into more of a Greek context. And then the book of John is the wackiest of them all because it's kind of like John's doing this mystical like thing with who the Christ is and it's more symbolic by nature, it's more theological. Uh there's a lot of room for uh mysticism and like what is John trying to say through this? There like I said there's some there's a lot more symbolism in it. And so it can be a more complicated read than Matthew, Mark and Luke. And so they're all doing something different and and Matthew is specifically Um, probably the most aware of the Hebrew scriptures and bringing that story forward, like you said.
3: And I, I think I just want to pause there to kind of give people some space to think about how they grew up with the Gospels, because sometimes we're from traditions that are working really hard to line them all up and make sure they agree with each other. But there's this bigger story of like what if they were never meant to agree with each other what if they were each meant to show a different perspective and that when they don't agree with each other that's something to pay attention to for the perspective of the author what are they trying to say uniquely as compared to the other authors of, that's a part of their storytelling and to say like this way that we're viewing them as historically accurate facts that need to line up with each other misses the storytelling element of each of the gospels and short changes what the story they can tell by doing that um, and so how do we wrestle with each each perspective with things that are in one and not the other and say, okay, what is this author trying to help us see or wonder?
0: And we have we have this in Genesis one and two. We have you know, in essence two different creation accounts because it's not about like which one's the more scientifically accurate account. The question is what are these here to teach us about the nature of God and humanity and the relationship between all of this that's happening. And so it makes sense that the the story of Jesus, who, you know, according to our Christian theology is God enfleshed, right? Is God incarnate, Emmanuel, God with us <laughs> to bring us back around. Um, there might be some turning of the gems needed to order to understand who this person is and and who this God is. And so, yeah.
1: Lisa, what are you thinking about? Um, well, I was
2: just thinking about like the, you know, we kind of say it quickly, but like God with us um, feels like a there's a pointing towards that. Um, I'm just, I'd be curious of what it felt like for the folks around.
1: You know, like if Matthew's doing this, did anybody else do this? Right. Like, is there a way that, I mean, I don't know that Matthew be all by himself. Um, but thinking about Jesus being this, um, a represent, like to show us that God is with us, that God is, is here. I, like, I sometimes always think of it in terms of a human perspective, but like, well, yeah, that means Jesus is human with us. <laughs> um, but to kind of pull out just a little bit, And think about it like somehow that this representation of what's happening is seen as a way of showing, oh, this is this is how we know that God is with us. Not does that make sense that there's a little bit of a nuance in there?
0: Yes. Can I put it in my own words? Yes. What I hear you saying is that oftentimes when we say God, God with us, we think of it like God has become human and is doing life with us as opposed to we're being, we're human and God is in this with us. Mm -hmm. Right. So it's, it's an emphasis on the kind of the God-ness of Jesus as opposed to the humanness of Jesus.
3: Which one of the interpretations actually of the Isaiah seven passage, this is from kind of coordinates with what Lisa is saying. So that there's not a consensus uh, of what Isaiah is about in general, but we will read it to bring context, but that, um, that in the beginning of chapter eight, a prophetess gives birth and there, and Rashi has a commentary that that's, that birth is what's being talked about in Isaiah seven. And that the sign that God is with us is that Isaiah's wife became a prophet when she was pregnant with that child, mm-hmm. that, that, that that was that she wasn't a prophet besides that, but in the pregnancy became a prophet as the sign that God was with her and was with that is is one commentary on that, which is much more about just a human experience that is divine as compared to a divine
2: being born. Hmm. Um, so we should read it. We should probably read Isaiah 7 um, <clears throat> to, to have this. Um, Well,
3: well, if I've learned anything in studying the Gospels with 40 orchards, is that really, I don't know that we should just do one verse, though. Let's turn to um, Isaiah chapter 7, verses 10 through 16. Moreover, the Lord spoke again to Ahaz, saying, Ask a sign for
1: yourself from the Lord your God. Ask it either in the depth or in the height above. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, nor will I test the Lord. Then he said, Hear now, O house of David. Is it a small thing for you to for you to weary men, but will you weary my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Curds and honey he shall eat, that he may refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the child shall know to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land you dread will be forsaken by both her kings."
2: Okay. So clear, right? Um, So Ahaz is a king. Let's just
3: set the stage. This is about the 8th century uh, BCE. He's the king of Judah. And the interaction between he and Isaiah is really about the fact that um, exile is coming and trial is coming. Um, And the question in Isaiah is sort of is it too late to turn back um, to God? Will God prevent these hard things or um, how is it all going to happen? <laughs> but it's very much set about that time period and the empires that are rising up around Israel and Judah in that time period. And so, um,
2: yeah. what what? <laughs> how did it feel as we read that? passage in that context. Okay. I
0: know, let me just preface this. In preparing for this episode, we had a short conversation about how we're approaching this series. Part of that conversation, what we talked about was oftentimes we're dealing with people that have a history within the Christian tradition, where there is an understanding that the Old Testament or the Hebrew scriptures is something that we wrestle with In the form of Midrash. And part of our acceptance of that wrestle is that Jesus seems to do that at times in the New Testament and wrestles with the Old Testament or wrestles with the Hebrew Scriptures. And so we feel an ability to do that. It's a little bit dicier at times for people to question and wrestle with things pertaining to Jesus, partly because our tradition has told us that we don't question certain things, we don't doubt certain things, we don't wonder about certain things, we don't question the doctrine, our theology can't change. And then for those of us that are, sometimes there's been words like heresy or blasphemy or um, backsliding or other terms that have been handed down that usually mean we're not part of the cool club anymore or we're kicked out of the tribe. And so as we enter into a moment like this, where we are examining a passage in Matthew that only uses this word once in almost the entire New Testament and only a handful of times if you know much at all in the Hebrew scriptures, we're going to ask questions about it that are going to sometimes come across as not the right questions because they seem to poke at things. Here's why I say all that. It feels a little bit like Matthew is proof texting in order to make a really cool point because he is pulling this, Obscure. I mean, I don't remember the last time I read through the entire book of Isaiah and especially this chapter seven about a king Ahaz. And I don't, I I honestly have no idea what chapter seven is all about. And but then to yank one verse out of it and to put it in a different format in how it's written on the page later on in the book of Matthew to stand out and make it seem like this was the only thing written in chapter seven of Matthew of, of Isaiah just feels a little disingenuous to what's going on in Isaiah. Because when I've read Matthew, it's as the prophet, you know, you can't even say it normally. It's like, as the prophet once said, the virgin shall bear a child and, He will be named Emmanuel, you know, which means God with us, you know, and it's like you would would think that's the only thing chapter seven says. In essence, it's a middle of a paragraph in the middle of a chapter that has nothing to do with the first century.
3: Which I mean, we go back to the Amy Grant song. She is like songs like that make it feel like it's a part of a whole thing because she set, takes a manual from chapter seven and what Matthew's doing and pairs it with Isaiah chapter nine, where God will he will be called wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, Prince of peace. That's a different chapter that is not actually connected to this verse in Isaiah. And so I think in our minds and our imaginations from songs like that, it's all connected. And there's some beautiful prophecy about all of the names that will be given to the Messiah. But in actuality, Isaiah 7.14 is one verse in the middle of an obscure passage about Isaiah and Ahaz.
2: And what do we do with that?
0: I don't know. I mean, sorry, I just shook my head and made like a dog noise. Like, <laughs> I don't know what to do with that. Partly because I don't know what Isaiah's is doing. And I think that's the, that's the question I have. It's like, what is Isaiah talking about? Because maybe... Maybe the tradition that Matthew is writing into knows this story so well that when he pulls one obscure verse, it triggers this whole other thing that they are already aware of and it helps it make sense to them in a dynamic way. But for me, I don't know all of that. I'm not living that history. It's not been taught to me in the synagogue over and over every year or something. And so I don't, I don't under, yeah. So can we? I guess we're going to do the thing that we're going to do anyway, which is, can we talk about it now? <laughs>
3: <laughs> I mean, let me read to you a couple things. Um, I'm going to read, uh, actually, the first thing I'm going to read is from a, something called the Jewish study Bible, but I'm going to read what they say about verse 14 through 17. The Emmanuel passage, um, Isaiah provides a sign the point of which is either to clarify his message or to verify it. It is not clear whether the sign is the woman's pregnancy, the child's birth, his name, or his diet, nor is it clear when the sign comes to pass, immediately, if the sign is his name, soon, if the sign is his birth, or several years into the future. Similar ambiguities occur in the case of other biblical signs. This passage, which plays a significant role in Christianity, is of no special importance in Jewish tradition. That's a commentary. So that's one person's opinion on that passage from a Jewish study Bible, but I think it's worth putting that out there as we kind of talk about the possibilities of what this means.
2: Lisa, what have you been thinking about? Well, there's
1: a little bit of sass in it that I kind of like, like if you're the language of is, is it a small thing for you to weary men, but will you also weary the Lord? <laughs> it's like, well, that's a little sassy. <laughs> like there's a little punch there. But then I also was thinking about curds and honey. And I was like, well, I mean, like sometimes stuff is just weird. And it, like, I, like, there's some things there, like, oh yeah, there's a milk and honey conversation. Like, I've heard that.
2: Um, but it's weird because it's
1: also like, that's how he's going to refuse. Like good and evil, but there's also like I can feel like there's like this way that I mean Matthew might just be really you know like clever and knows the Hebrew scriptures so well that really does know like this one verse is like oh yeah this is what like it's the point like I'm pointing towards this thing of what this could mean,
2: but it's also like super like weird like it just it. It feels weird. And
1: I mean, I think, I think, I think of that a lot of times in the prophets and I sometimes wonder, I mean, it's just weird. Cause sometimes I think with Christianity, there's certain things in the prophets that we really like and we latch onto and we're like, yes, that was prophetic. And that is for us. And that's the thing that, that, but it's pick and choose. We don't take the whole message of the prophet. We grab like little grab snippets. But like the whole message of like, what is, what the hell is Isaiah saying in the book of Isaiah? Like the whole thing, what's that mess? Do we pull that whole thing forward? Like, I don't, I'm just going to wager in my lifetime, The I think the only time I would have actually read the book of Isaiah would have been if I was challenged to do a Bible in a year type of deal. And even in that case, my, I'd be glazed over. By the time I was in Isaiah, I would be in the throes of like, just get it done. Keep your eyes open. (laughs) Like I am reading just to read, not to actually comprehend, which is what happens for me in those things. So like, I don't know, that's all like, it just swirls so much stuff in
2: there. Hmm. I wish it would have been more. Well, I wish either
1: Matthew would have taken a little bit more time with that. Or maybe like expanded on it or like used it consistently throughout the entire book of Matthew. So that like that was just what we were talking about. But it's so it's used like four
2: times total in the whole Bible.
3: Now what is used in the Bible, so let's talk about that for a moment. So the the name Emmanuel is three Hebrew words put together. So it is um it is um Im, which is with and then new, which is us, and then L which is God, so Emmanuel is with us God um and so those three words strung together, there is a way that that we can find um God with us or or, or but not necessarily as a name. Or a language of, of God with us, us with God. There's a theme of God with us, but the name is not necessarily common. And so there's, there's that question too. Why have it be a name here or where else can we find this idea of God with us? What do we see as the signs that God is with us? Um, why is it given as a name here to Ahaz, even if it's not given as a name in other places? And it's the idea of it more than the name of it. There's a way, I'm curious in our translations, if we flip forward to Isaiah 8, verse 8, um, what's interesting there is that that's one of the times that it is repeated, but it's not repeated in my translation. And it's the, and I think that's maybe why, is because um, it ends with this like, oh, Emmanuel, but there it doesn't seem to be referring to the child. Um, it's more like, but with us. So my translation says, but with us is God whose wings are spread. Um, so there it's not actually translating it as the name. It's translating it as the concept of with us is God in, in verse 8. Does, um, does your translation have the name Emmanuel there, Lisa?
1: Yeah, I'm wondering what translation you're using. It's from that same
3: study Bible, and I'm not actually sure. So it's probably like the JPS translation. So there's a way that points to the concept of it being a little wider, even as they're choosing the name of it to be translated differently there. But I want to say more about the context of the Assyrians and Isaiah, because I feel like we could flush that out more as we think about this concept. So Ahaz is a king during a time period where the empires are giant and the empires are sort of imminently threatening uh, the land of Israel and Judah. And so uh, this is written during the time of the Assyrian empire, which is the empire that will conquer the Northern kingdom of um, Israel, even as the Southern kingdom of Judah stays a little bit more independent until the Babylonian empire comes 150 years later or so. So Ahaz, during that time period, has to decide where to put his trust as a king. Will he trust Isaiah the prophet? Will he trust in the Lord, or will he trust in alliances with other with other foreign um, bodies in order to protect his land and his power? And so this concept of that that is the Lord is speaking to him and saying, "Ask for a sign from the Lord." he's sounding holy by saying, no, I won't test the Lord in that way. And then to Lisa named like the snarky response. But really what he's doing is he's sort of hedging his bets to say, I'm not going to ask the Lord for a sign. I'm going to pretend it's because I'm holy and good and don't want to test God. But really it's because I'm hedging my bets that the Assyrian empire is a better alliance than the Lord. And so in chapter eight, what's happening is he ends up creating an alliance with the Assyrian empire instead of from the Lord and the Lord's angry <laughs> in chapter eight and in talking and it, and that verse that has a manual with it is actually talking about anger and things like my Lord will bring us up against them. The King of Assyria, like it's, 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 there's a lot more frustration and it's those parts of the prophets that we glaze over because of all of the empire political language. That's a part of it. But it, to me, raises the question of, Are we? how do we resist seeing God as with us? Because that's actually what Ahaz is doing. That's why this name is coming, is Ahaz doesn't want to trust in God. Ahaz would rather trust in politics. And the God with us name is challenging him in that, in where he is putting his trust mm-hmm. as a leader.
1: Well, I think that's the challenge for most of humanity, isn't it? To like trust that God is with us in the midst of incredible, horrific things. Mm -hmm. Right. Like,
2: I mean, if we're talking about an upcoming war, an overtaking, like this is what's coming.
1: (laughs) And now like, hey, God's with you. Like always the God with, like there's a, it's an interesting. I don't know how to do this succinctly, so I'm just going to throw it out there. Because there's also, when you say like the word is with, yeah, with is the primary translation, but it doesn't just mean with. It can also mean like for or against, or like there's a lot of that word can have a little bit of mystical translation if we wanted to. It it makes sense that it's God with us. (laughs) But I sometimes, I don't, I don't know. Who is God with? Like, is God with the right side of things? Or is God just with everybody?
0: That's uh, that's a pondering. Okay, so we have this Jewish potential interpretation or understanding of what's going on in the book of Isaiah and how this passage isn't that's significant for the Jewish tradition, according to some Jewish scholars and, and interpreters, and you know, those trying to unpack the Hebrew scriptures, which I think is a really fascinating thing for two reasons. Number one, it makes me wonder, and forgive me for sounding somewhat uh blasphemous or heretical or whatever we want to say, but is Matthew potentially kind of proof texting to make his point, like some do, where you are pulling something out of its context, not not finding yourself in any tradition that has historical backing, but you're using a passage to just make the point that you want to make. So in essence, in order to make Jesus seem like a more substantial person coming on the scene, we got to find some passage in the Hebrew scriptures that like really emphasizes our point. And so, well, look, here's one, right? Can and I say
3: more about that one?
0: Yeah, please do.
3: Um. Matthew spent the entire first chapter writing a genealogy that ties Jesus to David and Abraham and like all of the people who came before. And that lineage was traced through Joseph, which means one of the things that um, Matthew needs to explain is how Joseph can be the father when Mary was already pregnant. And so, this idea of pulling this verse in could be a bit of a proof text of, oh, but she was a virgin. It's from God. Therefore, Joseph can still be the father. Um, Because right now, the fact that he's finding out from an angel that Mary's already pregnant, but he was described as the father in the lineage makes a complicated situation there. And so, I think that could be a part of what Matthew's doing is trying to have a verse that helps tie, make that lineage make sense when Mary was already pregnant.
0: Right. Because if it's not, miraculous or it's not Joseph, then it's
2: that whole lineage doesn't doesn't
0: doesn't work. So it has to be something miraculous, which again, yeah, like like we said, like we're saying, is is there a proof text going on? But then that kind of leads to my second thought around this, which is we're utilizing, I think wisely, a Jewish understanding of this passage in Isaiah, which we should do because that's the tradition that we're reading. We're not you know, it was, it's coming from the Jewish tradition. And so it's helpful to read how a Jewish person, scholar would understand it, but also we're doing so in light of Christianity, in light of Christ, in light of Jesus. And so if you're a Jewish scholar and you don't acknowledge or accept Jesus as the Messiah, then a passage about a potential miraculous child of God being born to a virgin, you You wouldn't ever even attempt to interpret it that way because you don't think that that's happened, and so Matthew does, and so and, and Christianity does. So maybe there is reason to say, yeah, like this is it, like this is what's been waiting for, you know. And I think that's part of the part of the the core of the Christian tradition is that Jesus is the Son of God that we've been waiting for and longing for and looking forward to. All throughout the Hebrew Scriptures, anticipating that God would be among us and would come, and so, you know, maybe Matthew isn't proof texting. Maybe Matthew is doing good scholarly work that is really necessary for an understanding of of the Christ. I don't know. I mean, I kind of wrestle between both. Like, is he proof texting or is he doing the right thing? Like, or both? You know, is is it? Well, maybe if we
3: call it midrash, it could be either, because. Because we could say Matthew is doing Midrash from an early Christian perspective, and Midrash mm-hmm. leaves room for the scriptures to say multiple things, whether or not it was exactly what was originally intended. Um, mm-hmm. it, it allows you to fill in the lines with a different story with your own perspective. It, it, is, it leaves a lot of wiggle room. So we could say, whether it's proof text or a different interpretation, that either way it could be a version of Midrash that's pulling this forward. Um, in a surprising way. Lisa, you have looked like a thought <laughs> and I didn't want to well, hear. I have two thoughts. Because one is
1: a thought that that yes, Matthew's doing that. And the other authors of the gospel aren't doing that in the same way. They don't, mm. they're not pulling that forward the same way, but they are still that the birth is something miraculous. Everybody's kind of, either they don't talk about it at all because somehow it don't matter. Um, right? Or like, right. Like in some ways, if we don't, we don't necessarily actually need it to be a fulfillment mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. it to be what it was. Mm-hmm. So I was thinking about that a little bit of just like a little bit of the weight, making sure that I'm balancing, like this is a particular perspective and someone is trying to do this, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it's the only way to do this. Mm-hmm. They were the only way for Jesus to be
0: Jesus. Mm-hmm. Right.
1: Um, but the other Inver- thing I think.
0: Like, for, con- for context sake, for those of you out there, Mark and John do not mention the birth of Jesus, or at least not in the same way at all. Whereas Luke and Matthew are telling different versions of the Jesus birth story. So sorry to cut you off, Lisa, it's, but. That's okay. That's okay.
1: <laughs> I won't take it as mansplaining. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, it definitely kind of came across that way. I was just trying to be the person sitting here. Just elaborating. Just elaborating. The Yeah, I'm gonna going to keep going and make it worse. Okay, I'm going to shut different. up now.
1: Um when I was thinking about I was thinking about the Amy Grant comment and I was thinking about Isaiah 9 cuz I do there is something in there and I'm curious if that um like is that part does that feel like that's alluding to a uh, messianic prophecy and so cuz it is like it does say that for unto us a child is born like there is this thing you're well, eerily filled with christmas tunes It is saying something, but I'm like, is it, is it saying that that's, I don't know. I'm just, I'm curious about once we, once I start, if I use the theology of Amy grant, (laughs) I then I'm like, okay, well, wait, is that, is it out of nowhere? Or is there some linkage in there that actually has like a, like that is what there in Isaiah
3: seven, it's the same same well, child. We, same we child. talked about last episode, I think, the name Jesus. Is that the last episode? <laughs> meaning meaning um yeah, salvation and this idea that it connects to the names of of Joshua, Yeshua, and of Isaiah. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that we could say is that Matthew's trying to get people to open Isaiah. And get curious about Isaiah, because if you start reading Isaiah seven as a way of explaining the birth and you get to Isaiah nine in this description of a child who's going to be a wonderful counselor, mighty God, prince of peace, you get to the passages about justice that Jesus quotes later. And this could be a way to spark interest in Isaiah and to see how Jesus is a next Isaiah, a next version of salvation coming forward in, in time and space. And so maybe a random verse is a little bit of a hook right like like in a sermon you give a hook so people want to dig in more maybe this is meant to help them dig into Isaiah because if you keep going there's a lot in Isaiah that really does connect to Jesus uh in powerful and important ways and they share a name
2: hmm.
3: that might be giving Isaiah too much or uh Matthew too much credit i'm not sure <laughs> but i don't know he was pretty smart he was a tax collector for the roman government so you probably had to be pretty Analytical to, and and thoughtful to pull that
0: off. Well, and correct me if I'm wrong, but Matthew does the most connecting to the Hebrew Scriptures of all the Gospels. So, like, if yes. of all the Gospels that we have, he's the one that spends the most time bringing it back to what people in that culture and context would have already known.
1: Yeah, <laughs> that reminds me of the random guy in your congregation that like knows the scriptures so like better than any pastor would. (laughs) Because they just spend the time reading it. And so they can quote like they just know it. I feel like Matthew's that guy. Like he's the tax collector by trade, but like really can school every pastor that's around. Mm -hmm.
2: Right. (laughs) Yeah.
3: I also wonder, I want to kind of get back to the name itself, um, and this idea of what it means to us to think of God with us. Because that's a part of what he's playing. So he's pulling forward this idea of the woman will be with child and um, they shall call him God with us. And I wonder about like in that time period in the Isaiah verse, this child being called God with us doesn't mean everything is unicorns and rainbows. (laughs) it means that in the midst of this difficult time of power and princes and lack of certainty about the future god is still here and this is a sign that god is still here
2: hmm.
3: and i wonder about that being pulled forward as well is like matthew's telling the story in hindsight jesus isn't going to solve all of the problems of the roman government and jesus is a sign that god is still here and people will see him as a sign that god is still here and is that something that's being pulled forward of like, what do we think God with us means? And can we see Jesus as someone who's displaying that God is with us, even if it's not in the ways that we exactly hoped for or wanted it
2: to take place? I like that because
0: you mentioned earlier that the name Emmanuel is actually a very uncommon idea that's really only expressed a couple of times that Mm
2: -hmm.
0: this name so it's not something that that is incredibly popular before and even after and it kind of reminds me of the beginning of the name Yahweh or the the God who is with us I am who I am you know as we've talked about the idea of the living presence right and prior to Moses and the burning bush that was not a name that existed and then all of a sudden it's on the scene and it's it's so significant and it's so significant because of the circumstances of the people feeling alienated in captivity in Egypt and then there's a living presence among them that's going to move towards liberation and so the fast forward to Jesus and he's going to get this name the God who is with us who is going to be the next Joshua to liberation, the next Isaiah who's going to be about justice and this idea of kind of reforming who we are and and how we operate in the world, the next Hosea who's going to uh call the people to a sense of fidelity and away from idolatry or away from, you know, the their sin their sinful ways. And so I I wonder if this Emmanuel name is is a way of saying, okay, Something new is about to happen. We're getting the with us God name again. And now let's go. Like, let's see this differently starting now. It feels very optimistic.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Are you going to give the pessimistic view or the realistic view, Lisa? Realist. I'm going to go realist for a minute. I think. We'll see what happens. Isaiah is speaking at a time, though, before things are going to get bad. Mm -hmm. And so it almost feels like it's the reminder that God is with you because it's going to be easy to to forget when the hard stuff comes. And it actually makes me wonder then about what the expectation for, for Jesus to then be named Emmanuel by Matthew actually can clue us into some of the stuff that's to come, that this this isn't actually about like that whole, everything's going to be great. Like it's not, it's not like the sign that (laughs) like in lots of ways, I feel like in our uh, Christian perspective, so many things have some of that, that lens of like everything's so great now, every everything's wonderful because of Jesus. And I don't, I'm not trying to like push necessarily against that. What I'm, but it feels like if I'm going to root it in Isaiah, it means there's some hard stuff coming. And with Jesus, there's some hard stuff coming. Like what actually happened in Jesus' life is actually there's a lot of pain, um, and especially for the people who are around him and misunderstanding and not knowing what's next. It wasn't even. I mean, I still don't, for as much as we want to pretend that we have all the answers about salvation and what's to come, (laughs) we know jack shit. Like, we don't know. We're still all like hoping, like there's a, there's a hope that's riding in it that like, this is, this is true. This is what this means. But I don't know that any of us know for sure.
0: I love what that I- you brought us there, Lisa, because I think that is a really important perspective, and and the idea of the with us, God, you know, whether it's from Moses on Sinai or whether it's Jesus being called Emmanuel, I I'm I'm really glad that you took us away from the it's all better now because it's it, it that I I actually don't think that's the case. I actually love that it's like an entrance into not pessimism but realism that life's hard. And I think Christianity at its its best points us to the reality of life and not to just the optimism of life, but it says like, okay, this is difficult. People are hurting. Like people don't have food, like feed them, right? Like forgiveness is necessary. It's going to suck to do it. Um, But you need to live a lifestyle of it. Like love is really, really difficult. It breaks your heart and it also illuminates everything, but yet you feel trampled on when you do it. Like, I, I think you're bringing us to the really important part.
3: I was thinking about other times in scripture, we see God being with people in different language and honestly with this name, but the concept of it or the language of it. And one of the things that I was thinking about was Joseph when Joseph is in prison way back in Genesis 39, um, what it says in verse 23 is the living presence, the Lord, so that name of God was with him um, in prison. Mm. And that that's one of those first, that's one of the first times we see a concept of like God being with someone and it's with someone who's incarcerated. Mm. Right. And that like, where do we actually see language of God being with people? And is it when things are up and to the right or is it when things are hard? And it's the reminder that you're not alone when things are hard. And and I see a lot of it being the second of this reminder that it is hard. It will be hard and you are not alone. And whether Emmanuel is then that name that we need, um, not necessarily in the Amy Grant song, not to diss her, but it sounds so happy mm-hmm. that that it feels like, and maybe not even, I love the song, Oh Come, Oh Come, Emmanuel," But what I don't like as I'm thinking about it is that it makes it sound like Emmanuel's not already here. Mm. Um, and that really with Emmanuel we're saying, as we're saying, we're going to cling to the belief and the hope that God is here, no matter what life looks like. I don't have to beckon God here. I don't have to call for something that Emmanuel is more of a name of like, I can, I can rest in the idea that God is with me and live from that place. Um Which isn't a happy song, and it's not a beckoning song. it's like an is song. I don't know if that Christmas song exists now i, I maybe someone wrote
2: it. I want to know what it is. Hmm. I think that's it's- a really beautiful perspective to have, and I wonder if there's a way of like
0: yes, the song. I love that song too, "O Come, O Come Emmanuel." I think it's such a beautiful call. Like it's such an Advent song and not a Christmas song. It's such a waiting and anticipating and prepar- preparing song. Um, but I wonder if there's a way of, like, when we say "O Come, O Come," it's not in the future, but it's like an acknowledgement that, like, at every moment we need. Emmanuel to come and like Mm -hmm. and like that it is a coming and it is a it is happening but it's like a it's like an acknowledgement that yeah to not quote Lisa but shit's gonna get hard still right Mm -hmm. and so we need the coming Emmanuel both now and in the next moment and then in the next moment and then in the next moment and Mm -hmm. so there's like an acknowledgement of like I still need Emmanuel to come Mm -hmm. like because it's it's going to be necessary.
2: I was thinking about
1: Emmanuel in light of some of the way that verbs work (laughs) in different places of like, it's happened in the past, it's happening now and it'll happen in the future.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, And so with Emmanuel thinking about God has been with us, God is with us and God will be Mm -hmm. with us. Yeah. And in lots of ways, I think there's a, there's a particular It still is co-creation. It's still us working with God because I still have to pay attention. Like God is. But I can also live my life as if God isn't doing anything. If I don't look for it, if I don't look for what they are doing, I can miss what's on the table.
2: Hmm. Um,
1: And it feels like that's kind of the story that happens over and over and over again. From the burning bush to actually Jesus showing up is am I looking for God to be doing something? Am I, am I trying to be a part of that? Am I paying attention? Am I willing to be wrong? Am I willing to have everything turned upside down because it feels like God is pointing to this, this other thing that doesn't seem to make sense um, or Mm -hmm. pushes against the things that I've been taught or been immersed in, in my, from my culture to my family. Like there's so many different ways that I feel like God continues to be in all these spaces. And it's it's usually us who's surprised, except that it we've been told all along God's God's
2: doing it. Mm-hmm.
3: It's it's like when Jacob says, "Surely the Lord was in this place, but I knew it not."
2: Mm-hmm. How
3: oh. is that what come o come Emmanuel mm-hmm. is about? Is open our eyes to see where God already is.
0: I love that. That that to me is like. That's one of the most significant turns for me in my faith. I think
2: that the presence is already here and I
0: wasn't aware. Like, Because I grew up with a tradition that was like, we need to bring Jesus everywhere we go. Mm -hmm. It's like Jesus needs to be brought to the other countries, needs to be brought to the tribes and wherever. Jesus needs to be brought to my high school. Jesus needs to be brought to my friend group. Jesus needs to be brought to my little brother, Jesus needs to be, I need to bring Jesus everywhere I go. And the idea that like, surely God was in this place and I knew it not. Oh. I mean, if that doesn't change your entire theology in an instant, I don't know what else does.
2: Like, and to me, it was liberating to hear that because I felt such a burden all the time. And but to go, oh my gosh, like love is already here? Like, okay, good. <laughs>
0: like, let's just do that, you know? Mm-hmm. Um and that's gonna be really hard. Like let's not let's not pretend like it's all, you know, mm-hmm. unicorns and rainbows. It's not a fairy tale. But like, oh okay, good. The hard work's right here. Mm-hmm. And God's already there. Let's uh, now. Let's let's get to it. Like,
2: ooh, mm-hmm.
0: like I, that. That indeed. almost like chokes me
2: up. Like because, I. I mean that. That's. I don't know. It's like thirty some years of my life, you know, being
0: rewritten. Mm-hmm.
3: So maybe we can hold on to this name, Emmanuel, of God was with us, God is with us, God will be with us, God is already here.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: This has been a 40 Orchards podcast. At 40 Orchards, our mission is to create circles for all people to wrestle through biblical text, so that together we can expand each other's experience of what is sacred, whole, and good. We search through the lens of sacred possibility, assuming there is more to be discovered, questioned, and applied as we listen for how God is still speaking. You can learn more about 40 Orchards and sign up for a study by going to 40, that's 40orchards.org. Our opening music is by Less FM. Our closing music is by NCR Music Vibes. Additional music is by 3 Music. Any references to books or other sources can be found in the show notes of this episode. Thank you for searching the sacred.